Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. The Fable and Folly Network supports creators of exceptional audio stories, including the one you're listening to right now. If you love our shows, we want to hear from you. Complete our listener survey at fableandfolly.com survey. This will help us learn more about you, what you like, what you'd like to hear more of, and how we can maintain an inclusive, safe atmosphere. As a thank you for your participation, we have extras and behind-the-scenes content from your favorite shows. Fans make the network what it is. Thanks for listening, and we can't wait to hear from you. Find our listener survey at fableandfolly.com survey today. Beyond the Dark brings you sci-fi short stories that invite you to explore questions like what drives us, what makes us human, and what else lies out there undiscovered. At times, you'll encounter some mature themes, so listener discretion is advised. A year since the accident. A year since my life was ripped out from under me. When they found her, Maya's body was barely recognizable. Left on the sidewalk, she was bloodied and battered, lifeless, and the car that hit her nowhere to be found. No one bothered to look for the driver. Nobody seemed to care. In this city of millions, it's so easy to feel alone, to have no one at your back. I've been told I should move on, Forgive and forget. But there are some things that don't deserve to be forgiven. So for the past year I've searched, using every resource at my disposal, leaving no stone unturned. The driver's identity remains out of reach. But I won't give up. I'll find them. And when I do, they're going to repent. watches the man in the suit staggers through the gloom. He thinks he's walking to a rendezvous with an auto cab, but in reality, he's inching ever closer to his own demise. I've been following him all night. Half an hour ago, inside a bar called Sludge, I spiked his drink. Shortly after that, I hacked his phone, sending him an alert that it was time to catch a ride home. Damn it. 
Now he's following the directions I gave him. There is no auto cab. Just a dead-end alleyway far from prying eyes. Collecting a bounty is not as easy as walking up behind the mark and pulling the trigger. In this city, eyes are always watching. A scraper like me occupies a narrow line, treading the gaps in surveillance to make the kill and escape unseen. It's an art form, one that I've perfected over the years. I move in and grab the target by the collar, then shove him behind a dumpster. I pull out my gun, but before I can strike, I'm forced to stoop low. Overhead, a drone skims past the alley. It's scan light briefly illuminating the far side of the dumpster and an empty patch of asphalt. Then it disappears again, and I get to my feet once more. The man whimpers as understanding slowly dawns on him through the drug haze. I didn't do anything. Like Cohen always tells me, Please. you can't let them talk you out of it. You, you Don't listen to their pleas, their protests of innocence. You, you've got the wrong guy. If these scum have been marked, they did something to what deserve it. I get the Please. job done. Please. In truth, I live somewhat of a double life life of secrets that no one else knows. By day, I sit behind a desk in a security firm. By night, I work as a scraper. The things I do under cover of dark are unsavory, and I know that. Some view scrapers as being no better than the people we hunt. But in my eyes, rubbing out lowlifes not only makes the city safer, but helps to pay the rent. So it's win-win. I make the call to Cohen. It's done. Good. No trouble, I hope. No, not this one. I'll transfer the creds now. And that's it for tonight? <sighs> what is it? I do have one more. I've been sitting on it for a few days while I run some checks, just to be sure. But uh, I think this is the one. The world seems to slow around me. From time to time, Cohen's been doing what he can to help find the driver, the one who killed Maya, using his underworld contacts to follow up on rumors and possible leads. But for the most part, it seemed he wasn't getting anywhere. Until now, you found the driver. I'm sending you the details now. This isn't a paying job, but I figure you don't need the extra incentive. Damn right. Xavier. I know you have a lot invested in this one, but keep it professional, hmm? Do it clean. I search for somewhere to review the data in private and find an abandoned office a few levels up. The city glimmers through the window, cold and blue, as I get to work. Cohen's data contains ID and location metadata from the night Maya was murdered. It all adds up to some damning evidence. It feels surreal, but I now have a complete profile of the driver. Not only his age, weight, and height, but his face as well. And his name, Vespa. I take out the projector, a small metal cylinder the size of my thumb, and place it at my feet. The room begins to glow, rippling in shades of blue and green. 
the light coalesces into a human form, a holographic image of a woman with dark, tussled hair. She glances at me as she hurriedly attempts to draw some stray locks behind her ear. Uh, morning, X. Hey, Maya. Uh, sorry, I can't stay for breakfast. I'm late for a meeting. Maya isn't late for a meeting, but she doesn't understand that. She's what they call an impression, a snapshot of Maya's mind just before she was killed. A computer program that contains the real Maya's thoughts and memories and a reconstruction of her personality. The type of thing people use for insurance these days. Every time the impression is activated, the program starts from the same spot. Maya, late for her meeting, never able to learn new memories or comprehend the passage of time. A poor imitation of the woman I loved, but the only part of her I have left. Can we talk for a minute? Yeah, what's up? Do you recognize this guy? I show her the picture of Vespa's face, hoping it will somehow spark a memory that maybe she saw him in those horrific few moments before the accident. Was he the waiter who dropped wine in your lap at that Italian place a few months back? <laughs> the guy we thought was drunk? Remember when he slipped over- Maya, listen. I need you to concentrate. What's wrong? You sound upset. Do you remember this guy in a car? Do you remember seeing him driving? No, nothing like that. I'm disappointed, but not entirely surprised. The impression was created from a chip inserted into Maya's neck that was supposed to cloud sink every few seconds, but something must have been scrambled in the accident. Her memories of that final day are hazy at best. She's staring at me, concerned, with eyes that still cut to my core, even as a hologram. Did I do something wrong? No, never. I try not to let Maya's inability to recognize Vespa loosen my resolve. He's the one, and I know that, whether she can confirm it or not. Cohen's data is solid. I catch an autocab and punch in the destination. After Maya died, for a while, I didn't think I'd have the stomach to activate the impression. The sound of her voice, the sight of her staring back at me just seemed unbearable. But after my first tentative experience with her, I found that I couldn't stop. Talking to her was like a drug. I began to use the impression more and more until it became a ritual. Even now, the silence of the autocab begins to chew at my frayed nerves, and I find myself activating the impression again. Hey you. Sorry, I can't stay for breakfast. I'm late for a meeting. I'm thinking about moving out of the apartment. What? Where's this coming from? I love the apartment. It's expensive. Well, sure, a view like that doesn't come cheap, but it's worth it. Remember that night we sat on the balcony till dawn because there were so many falling stars? Yeah, I remember. I don't really want to move from the apartment. We have so many memories there. But I know that when I mention leaving, she talks about the night of the falling stars. There is so much love in her eyes, such warmth in her voice, that for a moment, I forget it's not the real Maya. My resolve hardens, 
and I pressed my hand against the gun in my pocket. At the destination, I waste no time in accessing the local security feeds. I track Vespa down to a shabby apartment block nearby. He entered the place a few hours ago and went to the 15th floor, and he hasn't come back out. For a moment, I wonder if this is too convenient, these final pieces falling into my lap, but then I consider how much I've gone through to get this far, and I know that I'm only here because of dedication to the cause and the will to see justice done. Because I never gave up. This moment was inevitable. I reached the building. There's a basic security system at the entrance, but that isn't much of an obstacle for someone like me. I hack the lock and get inside, fast and clean. I run a check on security and surveillance, work out the best path to avoid it. Before long, I reach the 15th floor, find Vespa's apartment. Outside, I take a deep breath, steady myself. Tonight, more than any, I need to be calm. No mistakes. The apartment is quiet and dimly lit by a single panel on the back wall. Shelves filled with parts run from one end to the other, the pieces messily arranged in boxes and trays and old glass jars. There's a burnt odor in the air, and I can faintly make out wisps of smoke curling across the ceiling. I hear someone at work in the next room. Vespa appears through a doorway, carrying a circuit board. I press myself against the nearest shelf, gun at the ready. He dumps the part in a box, then stops to check something on his phone. A split second later, he's running for the door, but I'm ready for him. I bound across and grab his arm, send him crashing heavily against the shelves. As he staggers back, I see the flash of a blade. He's fast, but I manage to counter. Then, with two precise blows, I drop him to the floor. So, you finally found me. Get up. Wait a second. I said get up. I want to look you in the eye. I keep my gun on him. Cohen wanted a quick, clean kill. But that's too easy. This guy deserves to suffer. He needs to feel sorry for what he's done. What was it like when you hit her? Did you feel any remorse at all? Did you even stop and look back? Before you pull the trigger, you should know that if something happens to me, all the dirt on your boss gets automatically uploaded. Killing me won't stop it going public. He's too calm, and that irritates me. I want him begging for his miserable life. I want his last moments filled with agony and despair. How would you even know who my boss... Cohen, and your Xavier, his scraper. Who are you? Someone who's been investigating Cohen for years, trying to expose his corruption. I know all about him and the people who work for him. You know a couple of names, so what? I also know that Maya wasn't hit by a car. No, you're not going to talk your way out of this. She didn't die in a hit and run, and I can prove it to you. My finger rests on the trigger. The smart thing to do would be to make the kill and get out. But still, I hesitate. 
there's a nagging feeling of uncertainty that's beginning to grow within me. You've got 30 seconds. I have the data right here. Just let me... Uh, uh, okay, uh, I've got it. Vesper links up a projector to the terminal. An impression of Maya flares into life, but it's not the one I'm familiar with. She doesn't talk about her meeting or offer me a smile. Instead, she stares at me coldly. What are you doing? This is a fake impression. It's real. Her impression chip was removed surgically. Cohen got hold of it and made a modification before he passed it on to you. What modification? He erased the last 24 hours of her memories, going back to before she found out. Found out about what? I'm right here, Xavier. Why don't you ask me? You're not the real Maya. And you are not the real Xavier, are you? Scraper. How did you find out about that? Does it matter? It's true, isn't it? You kill people for creds. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm a scraper. I'm helping to clean up the streets. Everyone I've taken out is guilty. Who told you they were guilty? That gang lord who pays you? I did it for us. Those creds paid for our lifestyle. Blood money. I won't have any part of that. Everything is starting to click, and a horrible realization dawns on me. You had the impression chip removed by choice, so I couldn't track you down when you ran. I needed to get away from you. I was afraid. I didn't know what you might do to me, or if you would even let me leave. You should have talked to me. There's nothing to talk about. You're a liar, a cheat, a murderer. I stare at her in futility, words turning to dust in my mouth. Everything I believed about Maya for the past year was a ruse, a dirty trick. All the effort to find the driver had been for nothing. I want to tell her that she's wrong, that she's misjudged me, but I can't. She turns and looks out through the window at the city lights, a view not unlike the one we used to watch so often at home. Her anger seems to dissipate, and her face is filled with an emptiness that's somehow worse. I thought we'd be together forever. But the Xavier I loved was an illusion. I don't love you, and I never can. I shut the projector off, then stoop over the desk. My throat's so tight that I can barely breathe. Vespa, you need to leave. Get out of the city and don't come back. What about you? I have one more stop to make. Cohen's wine cellar is larger than most apartments filled with shelves that are stacked with expensive bottles. He walks slowly, perusing his collection, and is startled when he sees me standing in the shadows. Xavier? And no one told me you were here. No one knows, except you and me. I slipped past your security. Slip past? What's going on? What happened with the driver? There is no driver. 
Uh, you let him talk. Why did you do that? You know the truth about Maya. I know the truth about everything, Xavier. This is my town. Tell me. She found out you were a scraper, and she panicked. Went to a chop shop and had her impression chip removed. Then she made a run for it. I knew you'd doubt yourself. Waste your time looking for her. It was better if you believed she was dead. So I invented a story about a hit and run. There was a body. It was a prefab, doused in her DNA. I owned the med crew, made sure they didn't ask any questions. I figured if there was someone to blame, it would give you motivation. A purpose. So you could manipulate me into killing more people for you, thinking I was getting closer to the driver. I knew if you found the guy too easy, there'd be no satisfaction. So I drew it out a little. Tonight was supposed to be the end. If you'd killed Vesper, you could have had the closure you always wanted. You could have moved on. Don't you see? I was trying to help you. You're not going to kill me, Xavier. I know where she is. I can put you two back together. It's not too late to patch it up with her. I think about Maya and what it would be like to look her in the eye and tell her how sorry I am. About how I could change, make things right. But then I remember the impression in Vespa's apartment. The way it glared at me and made me cold to my very core. It is too late. But I'm going to let you live anyway. Just not for the reasons you think. You'll be back, Xavier. You need me just like I need you. This is who we are. Don't come after me, Cohen. Or I'll make you regret it. By the time I make it outside, the sky is beginning to brighten. It's the start of a new day. My new apartment is cold and dingy, and there are no windows. The furniture is sparse and utilitarian, but it feels like home. A home that I earned honestly. A home that's mine. Now that I've given up scraping, I can't afford the things I used to. My new job as a beat cop doesn't pay so well, but at least it allows me to sleep at night, knowing I'm doing my part to make the city safer. I'm really for my shift, but I decide to head out anyway. Before I go, I turn on the impression and wait as Maya fills my little world with her light. Morning, X. Hey, Maya. Sorry, I can't stay for breakfast. I'm late for a meeting. I watch her, marveling at every line of her face, every movement of her fingers as she smooths her hair. Everything I ever did, I did it to make you happy. You know that, right? What are you talking about? Of course I know that. And if I lost my way and messed things up, I'm sorry. Xavier, what's the matter? Just say you forgive me. 
I... I forgive you. place the projector in my pocket as I leave the apartment. No matter what I do, no matter how hard I try to make things right, nothing brings me solace quite like hearing her say those words. And so I keep the impression close and try my best to protect it. This little piece of her, this perfect fragment of the woman I loved, it helps me dare to hope that one day I'll find peace. Even if I don't deserve to be forgiven. Featuring Spencer Cannon, Madison Brunailer, James Smilly, and Wilder N.T. Martin. Written, directed, composed, and produced by me, Mark R. Healy. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and add a review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find my full-length novels and music at markrhealy.com. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you in the next one. The Fable and Folly Network where fiction producers flourish. Please try to get some sleep tonight. I've been trying to sleep all week. Nothing helps. You could try sleep sound. No thanks. You've had enough nightmares for the both of us. Let me go! Come on. The medication has nothing to do with that. I haven't had a bad dream in ages. (laughs) Ever since your highly problematic affair in Idaho? Oh my god. Never stop. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. Well, you still haven't told me who you're bringing to graduation. Oh, your heart is racing. How can you tell? You're lying on top of me. What if I don't want anyone else to know yet? And it wasn't a bad dream? I don't know. Christopher, you know. Can't you appreciate that I'm trying to help you here? Thanks for the pills, Lils. Dreamers, Season 2 by Broken Crown Productions. Tune in weekly wherever you listen to podcasts. Podcasts.